Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. So today's reading comes from Psalm 145, verses 1 through 7. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall extol your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. They will recount the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They will proclaim the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Macy. Good morning, Knox. It's so good to be with you. My name is David Bruner. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm excited to be back in the pulpit. It's been a minute since I was uh, able to share the word with you. I talked to someone this morning and they said, yeah, I forgot that you were one of the pastors here. So I'm glad to officially be back in this pulpit. Have you ever um, sat down at a meal and realized that you didn't belong there? Have you ever sat down at a meal and realized that for whatever reason it wasn't an appropriate place for you to sit? I have. Let me tell you about it. Back in 2015, I was invited to give a paper at a theology conference in Los Angeles. Uh, And the speakers at this theology conference, as they often are, could be divided into two categories. So first, there were the junior scholars. This was the category that I fell into. They were generally younger, as the name suggests. They were typically still in graduate school, like me. So these people still getting their PhDs, learning the ropes. Sometimes they had a teaching position somewhere. It was usually temporary, not yet tenured, hadn't found a permanent home academically. And the work of the junior scholars was very thoroughly vetted. When I said I uh, would be interested in giving a paper at this conference, they said, that's great. Please submit your paper in triplicate six weeks before the conference arrives and we will return it covered in red ink, and please make the revisions we suggest, and then you can give your paper at the conference. That's what it was like to be a junior scholar. Then there were the senior scholars, who, as the name suggests, were a little bit older, and were most often in tenured teaching positions at well-known institutions. They were often leading lights in their field, people whose books we'd read in our own courses or whose articles we cited in our own work. Their work at the conference, the papers that they shared with us, were vetted by a very informal process, often consisting of one senior scholar approaching another one at a a party or around the water cooler and saying, hey, Phil, do you want to give a paper at this conference thing I'm doing in three weeks? And Phil would say, sure, what do you want me to talk about? And he would say, well, let's talk about this and that and the other thing. And he would say, that's fine. Sometimes the fills of the world would show up with their paper written on the back of a napkin or with three points scribbled down on a legal pad and they would get up and it would still be amazing. But it was very informal. As you can imagine, these two groups mostly socialized with themselves. 
So one night at this conference, there's a banquet for everyone. And I go in and I immediately see there are two big tables. Who are the big tables for? Well, one's for junior scholars like me and the other is for senior scholars. Now here's the thing, there's a senior scholar there I'm determined to impress. I really want him to be on my uh, doctoral committee. I really want him to like me. I really want him to like my work. I really want him to be interested in my project. So I, I make a spur of the moment decision and I walk over to the senior scholar table and I screw up my courage and I pull back a chair next to someone and I say, do you mind if I join you? Now, for the first five minutes, I thought I was a genius because everyone was very gracious. They said, oh yes, of course, please join us. We'd be so delighted. Please sit down and tell us about who you are and what you're working on. And for five minutes, five glorious minutes, it was great. And then after five minutes, it started to feel awkward. That was around the time that the senior scholar I was interested in wooing lost interest in me and my project. His wife started talking to me enthusiastically about my kids. Uh, and I started talking to another academic at the table and I said, well, I'm working on this term paper for one of my courses and I'm really worried about it. What's coming up for you? And she said, I will be a visiting scholar at the Sorbonne in Paris next semester. <laughs> And I said to myself, I've chosen the wrong table. <laughs> panic, panic. So after about 20 minutes, I wanted not to sit at the table, but to crawl under the table. And I started throwing longing glances over to the table of junior scholars who were, you know, throwing back glasses of wine and seemingly having the funnest time in the world. I had stumbled across a basic sociological truth. Who you eat with matters. And who you sit down to dine with is an expression of uh, certain customs and commitments and expectations that we have. And it's just as true now as it was 2,000 years ago. And here at Knox, we're in the middle of a sermon series called At the Table, looking at the meals Jesus shared with people in the New Testament. And we're seeing some of the ways that Jesus challenged the social norms around dining and eating in his own day. Because for Jesus, meals were not just an occasion for fellowship. They were a vision of what life was like in the kingdom of God. They were a vision of what life is like when he's on the throne. And so in a moment, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 14 and hear a little bit more about Jesus' vision for table fellowship. But before I read that for you, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present in this room and in our hearts as we hear your holy word read today. Grant that we will understand it, take its message to heart, and seek to apply it in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. Here's our reading for today. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, 
Go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you have ordered has been done. There is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of the Lord. It's quite a passage. Let me try and break it down for you a little bit. We see in this passage some of the ways Jesus challenges the norms around eating and dining in his day. We see some of his expectations for what life is like in his kingdom. And I want to make three points here. The first is that Jesus wants us to humble ourselves so that we can be exalted. Second, he wants us to center the marginalized. And third, he wants us to invite the uninvited. Humble ourselves so we can be exalted, center the marginalized, invite the uninvited. Those are the three points. So let me start with point number one. Jesus wants us to humble ourselves so that we can be exalted. In the ancient world, just as it is today, eating together is an exercise in social status. Social status. So think back to the junior scholar table and the senior scholar table. What was that? Among other things, it was an exercise in social status. One rule that was particularly important back then was that at a banquet or a meal, the most important people were always seated closest to the host. Most important people were seated closest to the host. And so as this passage begins, Jesus is very aware of this custom and he's at a dinner party and he's watching people jockeying to get the seat of the most important person there. So you have to picture them sort of lingering over the dining table and being like, so 
what do you do? Um, do you have a vacation house? Where is it? How many bedrooms are it? What kind of car do you drive? Oh, you drive a Tesla. Okay, you can have this seat. I'll sit over here, right? They are all fighting to get the seat that says they are the most important person. And Jesus just has no time for that. And he tells his disciples, don't do that. When you go to a banquet, don't fight to get the highest seat. Voluntarily take the lowest seat instead. And he ends with this incredibly pithy phrase that I think is the heart of the whole story. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and the one who humbles themselves will be exalted. Remember for Jesus, meals are a picture of what the kingdom will be like, the kingdom of God. And in Jesus' kingdom, everything is upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, everything is upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. In Jesus' kingdom, the people who want to live forever have to be willing to die to themselves. In Jesus' kingdom, the ones who want to be the greatest have to be the servant of all. These are all things that Jesus said, and they're all central to his understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. And it's playing out in something as simple as table fellowship. In ordinary life, we know all too well that people who are important people who are powerful, people who are influential, people who have big pockets and big egos to match, get all the attention. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's not that way. Jesus' kingdom is upside down. In his kingdom, it's the humble ones, the ones who don't seek the spotlight, the ones who don't need to be the center of attention, who are noticed by God who are exalted and given places of honor. A few years ago, I went to visit a church that was dedicating a new sanctuary. And it was a poor church. They'd struggled for a long time to raise money. And they finally managed to get it done. So they threw a, a worship service to celebrate. And there was one man there who was indispensable to their uh, renovation project. He'd been the chair of the building committee. And he had gone out and located a bunch of donors and managed to raise a number of, um, raise a significant amount of funds for the project. And he'd also given really sacrificially to it himself. Could not have been accomplished without this guy. And so when the worship service came, they put a bunch of chairs on the stage, quite like this, and they gave him a chair at the center. Worship service started, everybody came in and sat down, and I watched him as he stood up moved out of his central seat, told the pastor to sit there, and he walked over and took a seat way over there on the end. He literally migrated from the center to the margin. And I don't think he was doing it to show off how humble he was. I think he was really just not interested in being the center of attention. And it was a beautiful moment where I thought, ah, that's what the kingdom of God is like. I was attending a memorial service here a few weeks ago, and there were a number of speakers about the person who had passed, and one of them got up and said, you know that saying, there's no limit to the good you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit? <laughs> that describes this person. That describes this person. And it also describes the kingdom of God. 
we can live in such a way that our lives have value in God's eyes and let go of that desire and need for worldly recognition. So the first thing Jesus wants us to do is humble ourselves so we can be exalted. The second thing he wants us to do is center the marginalized. Center the marginalized. Another rule that was of great importance in Jesus' day and age was that you didn't eat with people who were not your equals, socially speaking. So rich people could eat with rich people, nobles could eat with other nobles, but a rich person would not eat with a poor person, and a noble wouldn't eat with a commoner. Strikes us as odd today in the 21st century, but that was the way it was back then. Part of this was because there was an expectation of mutuality when it came to meals. You'd have me over for dinner, and then what would happen? Well, naturally, I would have you over for dinner. And the problem is, if you're rich, you invite me over to your place and you serve me steak and lobster. I'm poor, I invite you over to my house, what do I serve you? Mac and cheese and hot dogs, right? Who feels embarrassed? Me, the poor person. So as a result, uh, to avoid embarrassment, there was this kind of stratification. There was a separation. And once again, Jesus challenges that whole way of thinking. Listen again to what he says in our passage for today. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus tells his disciples to intentionally invite people who cannot repay their hospitality <laughs> and to trust that God will repay them for extending such hospitality when his kingdom comes. Jesus tells them to invite the poor, the disabled, those who for whatever reason lack the means to extend hospitality the way they would like, those people are to be centered in the kingdom of God. Now this runs contrary not only to uh, social norms 2,000 years ago, it runs contrary to our social mores today. Imagine if you were gonna throw a big dinner party, who would you invite? You'd invite all the people Jesus says not to invite. You would invite friends, relatives, rich neighbors. Listen, if I had a rich neighbor, I would 100% invite him or her to my dinner party, okay? You wouldn't start putting together the guest list by being like, right, who do I know that doesn't have two nickels to rub together? Who do I know that's blind? Who do I know that has mobility issues, right? You might invite some of those people if you knew them, but that wouldn't be the reason. N.T. Wright, the famous biblical scholar once preached a sermon on this text in his congregation, and he urged his flock to take it literally. He said, in the next month, I want you to throw a dinner party, and I want you to invite people at the margins. I want you to invite the people Jesus is talking about. I want you to invite the poor, the disabled, the lonely, the homeless, whomever it may be. Invite them and see what happens. And the next week, he and his wife got no less than three invitations to dinner. And they looked at each other and they said, well, I'm not sure what category we fall into, but I guess we're going to these meals. If we're going to follow Jesus, 
If we are going to follow Jesus, we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus asks us to center people who are on the margins of society. At Jesus' banquet, in his kingdom, everyone is welcome. But Jesus has a special heart for the poor, the struggling, the vulnerable. Jesus loves the people our world pushes to the margins of society and tries to pretend that they aren't there. The people we erroneously regard as less than. The mentally and physically ill, the hopeless and drug addicted, the unemployed and disabled and homeless, the least, the last, and the lost. Jesus loves them. To eat with Jesus, to have a place in his kingdom, is to participate in a banquet in which those people are the prized guests quite unlike the world we live in. One of my favorite authors is a British man named Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin. He was an amazing Christian thinker and pastor. Uh, at one point in his life, uh, well into what should have been his retirement, he found himself in charge of a struggling Presbyterian church in inner city Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England. There's this Presbyterian church. No one wanted to be its pastor. So he kind of wound up being its pastor by default. Well, he got there and he found out why. It was literally right across the street from a prison. So you can imagine like trying to take people on a tour of the church. Here's our sanctuary. Here's the nursery. There's the prison directly across the street, right? Kind of put harshed the vibe of the tour of the church. And everybody at that church understandably said, that place is an obstacle to our ministry. It's getting in the way of our effort to revitalize Leslie Newbigin, God bless him, took one look at that prison and said, right, there's our mission field. Our ministry will involve reaching out to the men behind those walls. So the church quite reluctantly began to minister to the men who were incarcerated there. And then they began to minister to their families, many of whom lived in that community. And then they began to minister to the guards and the employees at the prison. And then they started an incredible ministry among prisoners there who had been released. Who walked out of that prison one day after 10, 20, 30 years blinking in the sunlight of a brand new day. Wondering what they were going to do with their lives. And they started helping them and praying for them and helping them turn over a new leaf. And bit by bit, that congregation changed. Because Leslie Newbigin knew Jesus wanted those men to be invited to his banquet. Jesus asks us to humble ourselves so we can be exalted. He asks us to center the marginalized. And finally, he asks us to invite the uninvited. To invite the uninvited. To help illustrate what life is like in his kingdom, Jesus tells this parable. A host throws a lavish party. None of the people he invites show up. So the host sends out his servants to invite other people. And the host starts by saying, okay, go get the poor, the lame, the blind, all the people all we talked about before. They get all of those people and there still aren't enough guests at this party. Still feels a little awkward maybe. So the host says, right, go out into the highways and byways. Go out onto every 
tiny little alley in our town and find people. And there's this wonderful phrase, the host says, compel people to come. Have you ever been compelled to go to a party? Like, maybe this happened to me once or twice in college, you know, where you're walking to the library to study and you run into a friend and they're like, dude, dude, you must come to this party. I know you think you're gonna work on your term paper. No, you will not be doing that. Come with me, we're going now. It's that sort of situation. Reminds me of my best friend when I was little. My best friend, Charlie, his mom was Italian. And I spent a lot of time in their home. It's a warm, wonderful, hospitable home. And I ate a lot of food there because were, we were hungry, they always fed me. And she had this way of offering you pasta. I still remember the way she offered mastacholi. She would say, she, she would say Dave, some mastacholi. It was not a question. There was a period at the end of that sentence. Dave, some mastacholi. And I knew it wasn't a question because by the time she had finished speaking, there was more on my plate. And, you know, it never bothered me at all because it was an expression of the warmth of that home, the desire to have me there, the, the fact that there was a good environment there to be shared. And I think that's some of what's going on when the master says, compel them to come in. It's not a prim and proper, demure little invitation. Hey, do you want to come to the master's banquet, maybe? It's a firm, confident invitation. Hey, we got something good going on. You need to come with me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that immediately after this, you should go out and strong-arm people at Trader Joe's and bring them to church. Please don't do that. You'll probably be arrested. That would not be helpful. What I am saying is that when we sit down to eat with Jesus, he's always a little restless. He's always got one eye on the people who aren't there. You might say there's always an empty chair at Jesus' table. And our job as his servants is not just to simply sit at this table and wait for people to show up, but to actively go out and invite those who aren't there. And I know that's a complicated and sometimes intimidating task, but I believe it's what Jesus is asking us to do. In this parable, we are not the host. We are not the one who welcomes people to the party. We are the servants. <laughs> and Jesus invites us to go out and invite others so that they can share in his banquet. Beck and I have been here for not quite a year now. And since we arrived, we've been asked one question uh, as much as many others. And the question is, how do we get new people to come here? How do we get new people to come here? And I, I love that question. Um, it shows that people are passionate about this church, that we want to share it with others. It shows that people have a spirit of hospitality. I love it. The thing I would say is, there's all kinds of reasons why people want to come to this wonderful church. I'd say, don't forget that it's not just about waiting for people to come. It's also about going out and inviting people. And it's inviting the kind of people that Jesus wants to come to his banquet, the marginalized, the people in need. So by way of conclusion, I want you to think about the empty chair at Jesus' table. And we all have a person who's in an empty chair in our lives. We all have a person that we can invite. We all have a person that Jesus is nudging us to invite, to get to know him, to come to church, to, to maybe explore a relationship with Jesus. Who is that person for you? So maybe that chair is a doctor's chair. 
You know, the kind of super uncomfortable chairs that there are in doctor waiting rooms? Um, maybe it's that kind of chair. Maybe the person in your life is someone with a physical illness who needs the hope and support of a church community. Maybe it's a counselor's chair, someone who's dealing with an emotional or, or mental or spiritual difficulty who needs the good news of the gospel. Jesus loves those people. And you can invite them to come to his banquet. Maybe that chair is a little threadbare, a little worn, has a leg falling off or a cushion that needs to be replaced. Maybe it's someone who's struggling to make ends meet. Someone who's working three jobs to support their family, barely keeping it together. An older person who doesn't have enough money to retire. Jesus loves those people. And we can invite them to his banquet. Maybe it's a chair that belongs to someone from a different cultural background. Um, this is a stool that my wife, Becca, got in Africa when she was a volunteer there with World Vision. Um, I don't know how well you'll be able to see, but it's one piece of wood and it's carved into a stool and it's an elephant. There's an elephant on each side. And when she brought it back, there were actually two pieces of very light wood here that were the tusks. Um, either the dog ate them or they've been uh, lost forever. But um, I love this. It's so humble and yet the craftsmanship is so beautiful um, and so striking. And it's a very sturdy thing to sit on. Maybe the, the chair at your table comes from another culture. Maybe it belongs to a person who speaks English as a second language or has an accent. Maybe it belongs to a person that has different customs around eating than we do here in America. Maybe it's a person that wants to belong to a community of faith like ours where Jesus is lifted up as Lord over our culture and every culture. Jesus loves those people. And you can invite them to his banquet. One more chair. Maybe that chair is a rocking chair. Maybe it's filled by a mom or a dad rocking a baby to sleep for what they desperately hope is the last time that night. And they're looking for a community so they can connect with other parents, someone who can help raise their kid up in the right way. Jesus loves those people, and you can invite them to his banquet. Brothers and sisters, the banquet of God is a beautiful thing. And Jesus wants us to humble ourselves. He wants us to center the marginalized, and he wants us to invite those who are all too often uninvited. Ask yourself, who's in your empty chair? Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.